Hi, welcome to another podcast edition of White Collar Crimes. So glad to have you aboard. I am Ryan Horn, your host. Hope you've had a good month here so far into this new year. You know, you've uh, probably very familiar with a lot of his work, for lack of better words, talking about white collar crime here and a lot of other type of crimes, but probably not familiar with the guy actually behind them. You know, if you've ever been to Las Vegas, you've certainly uh, seen some of the handiwork of one of the founding members behind a lot of this and a lot of other uh, things that went on that a lot of people just didn't know, a lot of criminal activity that got a lot of publicity, but a lot of people even though they were very well aware of some of organized crimes uh, activities and you know some of the horrendous crimes they committed, a lot of people were not really very familiar with who the brains was behind a lot of this. And that's where we'll come into the focus on this podcast. This will focus on Meyer Lansky, who was simply known as the mob's accountant. Now, he was born to a Russian fam- Jewish family in Russia, And they immigrated here to the U.S. as he was a small child. And at this time, he was supposedly, uh, as a child, became acquainted and very good friends with none other than Benjamin Bugsy Siegel. Now, some of you probably a little more familiar with him. He was a very well-known mobster later on in his adult life, known for his very brutal and uh, violent ways. Supposedly hated the nickname Bugsy, but nonetheless, it stuck. And he, uh, if you can probably see his story on one of the streaming services, there is a movie, I think it's actually called Bugsy, if I recall, and it tells his uh, story. I believe Warren Beatty, I think, ends up uh, playing him in this story. And, uh, you know, like I said, very violent guy, very different personalities because Meyer Lansky was, you know, known more of just the, you know, brains and the bean counter money man behind the operations where... Siegel was a lot of the muscles, but nonetheless, when it came to crime and evil doing, they uh, they made a good pair. And they would, as I said, they'd forge a partnership that would last throughout their lives, although uh, Siegel, unlike uh, Mr. Lansky, did not see older life. Uh, you know, he was murdered, I believe he was in his early 40s, about 42, 43, somewhere in there when he was murdered by, you know, a mob hit, but... Uh, as we'll see in a little bit, Lansky lived a pretty full life and got to see old age, something a lot of mobsters don't do unless they're in prison, which uh, more on that in a little bit also. But like many in organized crime, he became very wealthy through his activities, Lansky did. Now, as we'll also see as his life wraps up, it's really not known how much wealth he did amass because of possibly hiding a lot of it from the IRS and feds and other agencies and organizations but uh, nonetheless he you know throughout his lifetime made a tremendous amount of money through organized crime now like a lot of mobsters uh, you know like I said Lansky was more brains than brawn which is uh, kind of unusual you know although we have seen a lot of them you know over the years that even though they maybe weren't uh, textbook smart classroom smart they did have a certain business acumen to them. Of course, they use that for, you know, law-breaking and illegal activities. But, uh, you know, uh, Capone's a good example of that. You know, probably honestly wasn't the, probably the brightest guy on the block. But, you know, he was very uh, vicious and willing to go the extra mile and, you know, did have at least what it seemed like some business instincts, which 
you know, as we've talked about over and over on this podcast, a lot of these white-collar criminals do have uh, enormous amounts of, uh, you know, business skill. A lot of it just comes naturally to them. Unfortunately, rather than use this for the good and make a legitimate living as a businessman, many of them turn to wrongdoing and to criminal activities to make their money. And, you know, that's a sad thing because a lot of them, if they would just apply themselves in an honest manner, could make uh, a very good living for themselves and their families and not have to, uh, you know, worry about going to prison or any of the things that happen to a lot of these white-collar criminals. Now, he, uh, you know, the, how sometimes the mob will accomplish their activities, you know, it's it can vary, you know, as we all know, they certainly resort to violence, extortion, things like that. But Lansky also, where he differed from a lot of these other mobsters, is in the fact that he bribed many law enforcement and public officials back in the day, elected officials, whomever, to, uh, you know, kind of turn a blind eye to the activities rather than, you know, goes back to that old saying kind of if you can't beat them, join them. Uh, if, you know, was not maybe able to outmuscle the law, so he found a way to corrupt it and to bribe it. And unfortunately, at this time, you see a whole lot of that going on, not just with him, but other, you know, famous mafia figures. You know, Capone supposedly had a great deal of the uh, Chicago people at the time, you know, different mayors, aldermen, uh, police officials, a lot of elected officials in the Chicago area, you know, on his payroll and in his hip pocket. It only took uh, finally bringing in outside help with the feds, the untouchables, as they're known, before he got brought down. Now, contrary to popular belief, he was not brought down for prohibition crimes, but rather tax evasion. You know, we've talked about that you know, as well as in some other tax evasion cases on this podcast. But, you know, despite all the criminal activity he did with the bootlegging and the contract killings and all those type of things, what actually brought Capone down was not paying his taxes, you know. So, uh, you know, the great movie, The Untouchables, but, you know, it doesn't quite tell the whole story. You know, that's not what put him away, you know, his, you know, violent criminal activities or anything to do with bootlegging. It was, uh, you know, not filing taxes, you know, so... But, you know, they had to get him on whatever they could, and that's what they were able to get him on. So this made their uh, activities for, you know, Lansky and Siegel and some of their other uh, business partners, if you will, uh, made their activities a little easier to carry out. With the law turning a blind eye to what they were doing, they were uh, able to much easier carry out their crimes. Now, at this time, uh, they also began to form uh, a partnership that would expand out into what we now know as Las Vegas. Now, you know, a lot of people probably think it's always been the hub and Sin City and, you know, the center of, uh, you know, all types of entertainment and vice and all these other things that it's known for. That's not always been the case. At one time, it was just, you know, kind of a little place out in the middle of the desert, out in the middle of nowhere. And it's a time when... They, these two and many others in the uh, mob that they work with got the idea to turn it into, you know, really what it is today. And, uh, you know, it's obviously made the mafia, I'm sure, you know, almost an unlimited amount of money over the years. But, uh, you know, make no mistake about it. You know, it wasn't just nice uh, entrepreneurial businessmen that wanted to set up Vegas and, you know, make a, a buck off of gambling habits and things like that. These are people that, uh, you know, there's a lot of crime that was involved in what they did. You know, a lot of, you know, extortion, murder, 
money laundering, prostitution, you name it. And, uh, you know, these things still go on there today. And speaking of gambling, I don't know if any of you have seen, you know, a while back we did a podcast on Arch Leister, the uh, white-collar criminal, the gambling addict that's been in and out of jail, you know, for most of his adult life after his football career ended because of a horrible gambling habit and addiction. Apparently he was recently released from prison but has already violated his prison uh, or his parole conditions by uh, being found in a hotel room I believe with cocaine and I believe it was also reported that he possibly could uh, have still been placing bets and having people helping him run his gambling operation inside prison I mean the guy's just not going to stop it's amazing so once it's decided and I believe his case his uh, parole revocation hearing is supposed to be held soon if he does end up going back you know, keep an eye, ear out for that. We will probably do a little follow-up on that case. And there's a great uh, American Greed episode about his case as well. But make no mistake about it, the mob saw a perfect opportunity, Lansky and Siegel and all of these, you know, to uh, take advantage of people's gambling addictions and, you know, capitalize on that and start again what we now know as Las Vegas. And that's exactly what they did. And... Lansky, you know, being the ever-present-minded businessman he was, always looking for opportunities, he also wanted to work with the mob, Italian mob and others, to get uh, Siegel out in running the Flamingo Hotel for them in Havana. Now, this is prior to, you know, the communist takeover with Castro and when, you know, everything got shut down. Prior to that, you know, what I've always read and seen this is obviously before my time but i've always heard that you know havana at that time was kind of like the las vegas of that part of the world and uh there you know there's great part in the godfather 2 uh the movie about that you know where they're there on new year's eve before castro and his thugs took over cuba and they had to hurry up make an emergency exit and leave but prior to that time havana and cuba my understanding were uh, pretty happening places before uh communism came in and unfortunately now you know the country's you know wrecked in poverty and you know all kinds of other problems and uh but that was my understanding of how it was at the time and that was an opportunity Lansky saw and he wanted to you know kind of uh branch out and get Siegel some more opportunities to be involved in and he did get him set up down there but the problem was that Siegel began to lose money for the mob at this hotel and there if there's anything the mob will not tolerate it is losing money and that is a very fast way to get you into deep water with the mob and that is exactly what happened now despite Lansky's efforts to help his friend uh, he wasn't able to do this and eventually Siegel was taken out in a mob hit in 1947 I'm understanding it just wasn't over you know his failings at the hotel there was uh, some you know payments and things to very uh, dangerous powerful people that he had not made and you know very cocky and resistant to it and you know he crossed a lot in the Italian mob and uh, ultimately it cost him his life I don't think it quite happened the way it was portrayed in the movie but my understanding it's pretty close you know the slaying that he got when he was shot and killed was in a brutal pretty brutal fashion just as portrayed in that movie where uh uh, Mr. Beatty plays Mr. Siegel. So uh, something to check out. I'm sure, like I said, you could probably find it on one of the streaming services or, you know, probably find the DVD for pretty cheap. It's uh, probably at least 30 years old or more, this movie. So uh, something to see. And that, that's really something to me now that it's not 2023. You know, I'm thinking back a lot of things that I grew up in in the 80s are now some of the stuff 40 years old or more. Uh, Eddie and the Cruisers, one of 
my favorite movies and soundtracks from the 80s. That was made in 1983. It just blows my mind that right now, talking to you, this movie is now 40 years old. I mean, I, I don't know where the time's going, folks, but uh, it's headed forward at a very rapid pace. So he did try to make, you know, and try to step in for his friend, try to buy him a little more time, but it wasn't doing, and Siegel had crossed so many people that finally he just, uh, he had to be whacked. So once he was out of the way, though, uh, Lansky, being the astute businessman that he was, supposedly continued to find a way to make money off that hotel in Havana for years to come, you know, probably until it was shut down uh, after Castro took over. So as long as it was there and there was a buck to be made, Lansky somehow found a way to do it. Again, very good with business and probably why he lasted longer. You know, here at this point, uh, as you'll see, he lived for quite a bit longer. You know, uh, Mr. Uh, Siegel was whacked in 1947. And as you're going to see, even though they're friends and grew up in the same age and everything, Lansky lived quite a bit longer and possibly just by having, I think, probably a cooler head on his shoulders and more of a sense for business and being able to handle things without violence it managed him to get a longer career in crime than did uh siegel now you know supposedly not all that he did was criminal although i'm sure the overall majority of it was but uh during world war ii it was reported that he did work with the office of naval intelligence in recruiting some other criminals to watch out for german infiltrators and spies and things like that and for his efforts, I guess, you know, the United States government was willing to, you know, thank him for his service, for lack of better words, and make a deal with him. And through that, being loyal to his friends and business partners, he secured the release of a fellow mob boss and longtime business partner of his, Lucky Luciano, and got him out of prison. Sure, you know, most of you, if you know anything about American organized crime, he was a very powerful New York mob boss at that time. And uh, he had been doing time, but thanks to Mr. Lansky's efforts to help the United States government uh, in looking out for German spies, they were able to overlook some things and release him and let him out. Now, as I said, Lansky is a rarity because he never did any long, he never did any prison stint that's recorded on anywhere. If he did jail, it was, you know, very, you know, in and out release type things. And that's very unusual. And the other thing that was unusual about him is, like I said, he died natural causes as a, you know, an old man, as we'll see in a little bit. And that's rare because most mobsters do some time in jail and prison, and most of them, you know, do not live to be old and die of natural causes. Most of them die just as Mr. Lansky did in a, you know, a hail of gunfire. Or Capone, I believe, was in his 40s when he died, but, uh, you know, he had spent 11 years in federal prison prior to that. But Lansky avoided both of these you know he never got shot down and whacked and and taken out on a contract hit and he never did any time in prison you know and uh you know being that you know having that kind of business acumen and sense about him i can only imagine what he could have done had he not used his brains and business skills for crime if he just would have used those for good uh there's no telling what he could have accomplished so that's a rarity it doesn't happen a whole lot now some have speculated that he managed to avoid prosecution most of the time by simply blackmailing other public officials law enforcement officials as such uh, particularly j edgar hoover 
Now, Hoover at that time and always did claim that there was no such thing as organized crime. Now, we all know that is very much a joke and a way to look at it, but uh, supposedly the reason he made these things, it's always been rumored that the mob had some uh, very compromising photos and videos of him uh, at a time when, you know, this was a very uptight time sexually at the time in this country when Hoover was in charge of the FBI and just a lot of things he was supposedly into would not have been welcomed with open arms by the country and would have destroyed his reputation and and things. So uh, in exchange for them keeping a lid on that, uh, he kept the FBI off their trail. Uh, Supposedly always made the saying that the FBI had more to do than just chase uh, you know, uh, bootleggers and bank robbers and things like that. I forgot the phrase that he used on it, but uh, he basically tried to pretend organized crime didn't exist. Now, once he died in 1972 and got, you know, a new director in and they got RICO established around that time, the mob got taken down, you know, very much over the next couple decades. And, you know, federal law enforcement was able to make huge strides in taking out uh, organized crime. But during the Hoover administration, which was by far the longest in FBI's history, I mean, about uh, 48 years, if I'm not mistaken, which is insane. But Hoover kept that position by blackmail. You know, it's well known now that he kept that position for as long as he did simply by blackmailing the presidents uh, that came in. You know, once he was appointed, he was able to, you know, get dirt on all of them. And, uh, you know, so they couldn't do anything with him. So, he stayed in that position, and uh, suppose that's a lot of how Lansky did. In addition to bribes and other uh, business methods, he was also able to uh, stay out of jail and prison by simply blackmailing a lot of prosecutors and law enforcement officials. Now, later in life, about 1970, when he was an old man, he did attempt to immigrate to Israel mainly supposedly to escape a tax evasion charge that he was up on, which, as we know, that's brought down many a powerful people. We've talked about Leona Helmsley, the real estate tycoon, Al Al Capone, uh, you know, Wesley Snipes. Just lots of very powerful people have been taken down by taxes, and I'm sure he feared that was coming to him as well. So he got out of Dodge, as they say, or tried to, and... uh, But due to his criminal past and history, the Israeli government rejected his contract and uh, he was, or his application, I should say, to apply for citizenship and he was rejected and deported back to the United States. Now, eventually, he was actually brought up on these charges, these tax evasion charges, but he was acquitted in 1974. After that, supposedly, he just kind of went into retirement mode and spent the last years of his life quietly living in Miami. I guess, you know, retired in Florida like a lot of, uh, you know, rich business people do, although a lot of them don't have the uh, criminal uh, background and pedigree that Lansky had. But uh, again, as a rarity for a mobster, he was able to uh, retire quietly in Florida with his family, you know, and... He lived about nine more years after that trial, and in 1983, he did die, leaving behind a wife and three children. Again, died of natural causes, didn't die in prison, you know, wasn't murdered or whacked on a contract hit, just uh, died of old age and uh, natural causes. Now, the FBI believed he had left behind $300 million in various accounts, but this was never proven. So, uh... Lansky actually claimed around the time of his death that he was in financial hardship leading up to the years in his death. And, uh, you know, obviously the feds did not buy that, nor did a lot of the media people. But uh, his 
daughter, supposedly, Sandra, in 2010, did claim that he had transferred $15 million to a brother at that time to avoid the IRS. Again, never been recovered or proven, so we never may truly know just how wealthy uh, Mr. Lansky was and ever did achieve, but it's, you know, the FBI believed that, you know, he possibly had as much as $300 million, you know, and... uh, and in one other way, he was smart in a lot of ways with it. Supposedly, he didn't live a very flashy, uh, flamboyant life with his money to draw attention to. You know, a lot of, uh, you know, criminals, white-collar criminals, suddenly began living way beyond, you know, what people perceived to be their means. And, you know, that tips off a lot of people. But supposedly, he kept a pretty modest life to, uh, you know, not draw a lot of attention to himself. So... Who knows, uh, you know, if we ever do find out if there's a breaking story on it, we will probably do a follow-up on that if we ever find out how much money he had. But, you know, we're talking 40 years now since he died, so uh, not likely to probably find that out anytime soon. So, well, tune in for us next time. We're going to cover another organized crime figure because, in my opinion, organized crime figures often are white-collar criminals in a sense because they do, in business-like fashion, commit financial crimes and other crimes to gain financial Uh, wealth. So in my opinion, a lot of it does qualify in a sense as a white collar crime. So be sure and tune in for that. And we got some other, like I said, we may throw some other type of cases in this podcast coming up and expand a little bit, been getting good feedback on doing that. And we'll keep an eye on all the cases we're following, Bankman Freed and, uh, you know, Miss Holmes, Elizabeth Holmes, all these other ones we've been following. And even the Idaho murder case right now, even though it's not a white collar crime, it's definitely something the country is keeping an eye on. And as always, send us an idea if you want to, you know, an idea for a podcast. Be sure and like this podcast. Uh, give us a five star review. Please follow our Facebook page, White Collar Crimes. Um, if you got an idea of any type, just please feel free to email me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com. Um, you know, if you need voiceover work, always glad to do that. Like I said, do a lot of uh, audio book work. Got one coming out again soon. Got. You know, the uh, In Danger of Liberty that's out now on uh, Audible and Amazon. And uh, got another one coming out with Beacon Audiobooks here soon. So hopefully you'll get a chance to check that out. Uh, check out my website. You know, again, if you need any work like that, uh, ryan-horn.com. Always support your local pet shelter. Keep an eye out for your friends and family for any of these financial predators uh, because they're out there looking to take advantage of anybody they can. So, uh, as always, we thank you for tuning in. Hope you will tune in and join us next time. God bless and take care, everybody.